Well, good morning, everybody. If you have a Bible handy, go ahead and open it up to John chapter 13. Your online host can direct you to the message notes. There's a little notes icon towards the bottom of the chat area there, and you can also access them uh, via our app. I think there's a place you can view them that way as well. So before I jump into the message, I just want to highlight, uh, give you some updates, some various ways that Eagle folks are serving during this time of need all around our community. So this past Tuesday night, there was um, Dennis Barrow, Matt Voss, and a host of other folks. Here's a picture from Danny Marquez, and they hosted, they had like a, they provided meals and food and such for 70 plus families on the near west side. And so they will provide a hot meal, and then they're able to give like a basket of groceries. They delivered them to various homes of people in need. And so it's our, working with our ministry partner, Youth for Christ City Life. And so just want to give a shout out to Dennis and Matt and everyone else who helps and serves that. Dwight Griggs and Lance and Peggy Lamont and everybody else who's jumping in and helping on the near west side there. These are certainly unique times and much need, but it's really cool to see how the people of Jesus are meeting needs. Because we want to be the kind of people, we want to be the church who you can get help if you need it, and we want to give help. So get help and give help. And all you need to do is send an email to help at eaglechurch.com. If you're in a place, hey, your cupboards are getting a little uh, bare and you need some food, uh, let us know. We're continuing to receive food donations here at the church. It's a drop-off site. There's like a there's like a big uh, metal cooler on the front, in front of the church building. You can set your groceries inside of there, or you can just give gift cards if you want to do it that way. Just send a note to help at eaglechurch.com if you want to participate in that, or if you need help, that's the place to send it as well. Also, a quick update on the masks. You remember the medical masks um, that we talked about last week? So we ordered 200,000 of them, a network of a dozen or so churches in Indy. The first shipment arrived this past week. So I hope in the weeks ahead to be able to give you some video footage. There's some folks who've taken some footage of the delivery of those to different hospitals and nursing care facilities and such. So uh, not all 200,000 are here, but they're on their way. But a cool story is that there were three other churches around the country last weekend who heard about what we did here in Indy. There was a church in Maryland, a church in Texas, and a church in Colorado. And they decided to get together and they pooled their resources and they purchased 100,000 more masks, the N95 style masks for the medical community all through our country that is in great need. So I just think it's cool how the body of Christ, one act of generosity spawning others. So we'll keep you updated. Obviously, we need to continue to lift up our prayers and continue to carry those on the front lines, right? Our medical personnel, doctors and nurses and everyone in the medical profession, we're with you, we're praying for you, and obviously praying for those who've been affected. We have a, a lot of folks, a growing number all through our nation who are needing prayer and battling really difficult times physically. Maybe you have a loved one or a friend. Know that we're with you. You can say on the online chat if there's a specific prayer request you have there, you can post it there, you can uh, send us an email, and we would love to pray with you and for you. All right. Well, as a video referenced, today is our entry into what the people of God for centuries have called Passion Week. The word Passion Week references the depth of devotion that Jesus displayed over the next seven days. It's also referred to as Holy Week, and the entry into Holy Week is called Palm Sunday, which as Joy was speaking about earlier, right, it's that picture of how Jesus was entering into Jerusalem, not in maybe the ways they expected him to come, but in the ways that he knew he was to come. 
And so one of the ways as a church, we want to leverage Holy Week. We want to maximize everything these next seven days are to keep our feet where Jesus put his, is we've initiated what we're calling another prayer week. So starting today at noon, we'd love to cover 160 of the next hours of prayer in hour-long slots. So if you're an Eagle veteran, you know all about prayer week in January where we come to the prayer room. Obviously, in light of our cultural circumstances, we're not gathering in the prayer room for this. You're all praying remotely at home or wherever, but we'd love for you to similarly sign up for hour-long slots. So go to eaglechurch.com events. There's a place just the similar sign-up sheet that you're used to in January. And just start filling in those slots. And students, children, let me challenge you. You can do this with your friends. You guys can set together a FaceTime call or a Zoom call, and you can have an hour of prayer together and connect virtually that way. And you can do that as life groups and other ways. So let me just encourage, let's fill up this Holy Week with these hour-long prayer slots. And Julia has done a great job putting a little prayer guide together. So if you've never done something like this, like the thought of you praying for an hour in your head, you're like, I don't know what I would do. I promise you, if you'll just set aside the hour and if you'll follow Julia's guide, I think it'll be a really meaningful part of your Holy Week. So can you jump on and uh, join us in that? We'd sure appreciate it. All right, Luke chapter 9, verse 51. I was going to read it for you. It's up here on the screen for you. kind of sets the context of Jesus' entry. It says, as the time approached for him to be taken up to, Jeru- up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. I want you to see that word resolutely there. I put in your notes, it's the word sterizo, and it means a steadfastness. There's a, a fixing one's mind upon. It's a firmly turning towards. That's what the essence of the word means. So it's this picture of what did Jerusalem represent to Jesus? Why is this so significant in the life of our faith? That Jerusalem represented the fulfillment of the will of the Father. In Jesus' mind, from a very young age, all roads led to Jerusalem. It was a fulfillment of what he knew the Father had sent him to earth to do. And so today, as we enter into Holy Week, we begin to enter into the seven-day period of time that doesn't just change some things in our world. I would argue it changed everything. And so looking now at Mark 10, these will also be up on your screen here. In Jesus' resolute determination, here's what he knew was ahead of him this week. Mark 10, verse 33, we are going up to Jerusalem. He's speaking with his disciples, he said, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles, who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. Now, I want you to notice a couple things here. Notice it like covers the bookends of Holy Week. The very first line in verse 33, we're going up to Jerusalem. That's today, Palm Sunday. And notice the very last line of verse 34, it says three days later, he will rise. That's Easter Sunday. So it's bookending and in between are all the days in between. And no doubt we've all had our share of difficult weeks over the past couple of months. But I would argue in the stack of difficult weeks, this is at the top of the stack. Right When Jesus outlined the week that was ahead of him to be beaten, condemned, handed over, mocked, spit upon, flogged, and eventually executed. And the disciples are listening to Jesus' outline. So here's Jesus telling them, okay, guys, we're going to Jerusalem, and here's what the week's going to be. 
It's one of those moments where Jesus says, here's the plan. And he lays out like what the next seven days are going to be. And the disciples are kind of listening, but not really connecting the dots. Like, and I think we can empathize a bit here. How many times have we maybe been in this place where we say, Jesus, I hear you. I know you are good. I know you're in control. I know you are wise and you are competent. I know you know what you are doing, but I'm on the struggle bus with Peter, James, John, and Mary. I can't piece together exactly what's going on here. I don't have a category to process this reality. Anybody there? I feel like I live a good portion of my relationship with Jesus there. Like, I'm, I know he's good. I know he's in control. I know he's strong and wise and competent. I know he knows what he's doing. I'm just... I'm struggling to get my arms around or get my heart and mind around exactly what's unfolding. Because the disciples heard Jesus say this repeatedly, but they couldn't connect the dots. They were just saying, I, I just don't know. And I think about in a day and a time and an era in the spring of 2020, perhaps we're th that's where it finds a good portion of us these days in our own discipleship to Jesus. Holding on to this, we know he's good. We know he's wise. We know he's in control. We know he's competent. We know he knows what he's doing. But wow, I just can't wrap my heart and mind around it. And so for the disciples, they specifically couldn't ever envision a time where Jesus would leave them. They waited so long for the Messiah to come to them. They wanted to cling to him in a way that says, I hear you're saying you're going to leave, but they never really fully processed that. Until later in this week, when we come to Good Friday, it begins to kind of be ripped from them. But in their head, they're just imagining Jesus always being in close proximity because they waited so long for him to get there. But Jesus was trying to prepare them for something that was really difficult for them to understand. And for me, I think about all the times as we pray and support one another in the body of Christ month after month, and I think about I think about the young couples or maybe even older couples who've been praying and praying and praying to just have a child. And I think about the fertility treatments they've gone through and the amount of prayer that they've had and the, and the longing they've had to see the pregnancy test turn positive and month after month after month, the womb remains barren. They say, Lord, what are you doing there? Or I, I think about the, the students who have been longing to have a relationship with their earthly father, they've been praying and praying and praying and trying to build some type of connection with their dad, and for whatever reason, through a sequence of events, it seems like every month and every year goes by, and that relationship is more distant and more disconnected than ever. Like, Jesus, what are you doing in that? Or I think about those of you who are single and long not to be, and how you've been praying and praying and praying and asking God to bring you an Ephesians 5 spouse who would be the kind of companion that you could journey through life with and serve Christ with and build a family with and month turns into year and it's just still single alone. Or I think about all of us in 2020 now. We're cruising along in January we hit February, and a term is inserted into our vocabulary called the coronavirus. 
We didn't even have that in our vocabulary when we started 2020. At least most of us did it anyway. And now just in the span of like six weeks, it feels like the basic components of our whole everyday life has been flipped on its lid or taken away from us. We spend more time now talking about death rates and numbers of cases and we've got meetings taking place across corporate America and small businesses just talking about furloughs and layoffs and cutbacks. And we have school administrators and teachers just having conversations about cancellations and closures. We have coaches and sporting teams who have simply said, you know what, this season isn't going to happen. And on and on it goes, as well as then everybody in the medical community who was serving in some reasonable position in the medical arena who's now been thrust into a bit of a wartime mentality where they're serving such long hours and making decisions they never had imagined having to make or being thrust outside of their own sphere of expertise to simply serve those in need. Or maybe others of you who have a loved one or you yourself are struggling with your own health. All the above. Jesus, we know you were in control. Jesus, we know you are good. Jesus, we know you know what you are doing. You are wise and competent. But I, I know for me, I, I'm like Peter, Mary, James, and John. I'm on the struggle bus to piece together exactly what it is he's doing. Because as he enters into Jerusalem today, Palm Sunday, here's the picture the disciples had. They were fired up today. Here's what they were thinking. They're thinking Jesus is finally coming to town and he's going to deal with all the injustice and the oppression that they've been living under for so long. Particularly, I'm sure that the crowd that was gathering and waving their palm branches and laying their coats and shouting Hosanna, they're thinking our, our king has come to reign and to rule and he's finally going to sideline the Romans and he's going to put the Jews back in power. I mean, they are fired up today. And then, as the week unfolded, follow this now, the gap between what they expected and what was reality, it just kept getting wider and wider. Expectations of what they thought Jesus was up to and reality with what he was really up to. Whew. Anybody there? It reminded me, Back in 2017, does everybody remember back when you could like get in your car and like drive a long distance? You remember like when we took vacations? I was reminiscing about it. Oh yeah, back in the summer of 2017 when we had a family trip during our sabbatical where we were headed out west because um, our kids had never been west of Iowa, which obviously there's not a lot between here and Iowa to really look at. So I was trying to get in west of Colorado. So we ended up all the way San Francisco Bay Area. I had this great idea, you know, dad's grand plan. I said, you know what? Fourth of July, San Francisco Bay, Golden Gate Bridge, it's going to be epic. I mean, I, I had researched it. I got us a perfect spot, like hotel right down by this little harbor bay area, down by the bridge. And if you know San Francisco, Fourth of July, that's a crazy environment down. There's like two to 300,000 people who gather in this little harbor. And then they put this large boat barge type out in the bay. And then they launch the fireworks off there. So it's kind of a reflection off the water. It's supposed to be super cool and all that stuff. So I was so excited about this, and we got there early, and we were walking around this 
Harbor Bay, and there's music playing, and there's a holy, crazy display of humanity going on, 4th of July, San Francisco Bay. Are you with me? Like, we walked up to this large crowd of people, and we couldn't figure out why everybody was gathered around. And there's this guy in the center of this crowd, and he says, and he has like a little megaphone, microphone thing on, and he's like, hey, I am going to demonstrate how I can put my whole body through the center of a tennis racket. I'm like, this guy's like, he's bigger than I am. I know there's a lot of people bigger than me, but you need to picture like a normal, like six foot-ish, 200-ish pound man. And I'm like, I stood there and thought, why? Why? Why do we do this? And why are there several hundred people like watching and egging him on? And then we proceeded to watch him like dislocate his shoulders and stuff his body through the eye of the tennis racket. He put himself through the whole thing. Yeah, I think your face looked like mine. I was like, I just turned to Kendra and the girls. I'm like, hey, let's stay, let's stay tight. Let's stay close here, right? Let's, let, <laughs> this is a crowd. And there was an aroma. Like, I'm not sure if marijuana was legal in that area at that time, but let me just say that the aroma of the harbor in San Francisco on the 4th of July sure smelled like legalized marijuana setup. Are you with me? There's our environment crazy all day long. We were excited. The sun was setting. We found our perfect spot for the fireworks. Two to 300,000 people. The music is blasting. And just as the night sky hit, they sent off that little, you know, warning that, hey, the fireworks are going to start. Everybody's really excited. And then they launched off. Boom, 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 boom. The first ones go up into the air. And they all exploded in their colorful array into a bank of dense fog that completely covered any visibility of any of the fire. Like, you couldn't see one of the colors. And what you need to picture is this. This barge full of fireworks that I'm sure the San Francisco Chamber of Commerce spent several thousands of dollars, they just start launching off all these things. And all you hear is two to 300,000 people go, oh... It was crazy. And then you hear this one child, Mom! Dad! Ah! It was just like the whole, the whole show launched all the fireworks and all you could see was a dense bay of fog. That's it. So I had, and I think others had, great expectations for what that 4th of July experience was going to be like, if you ask our girls, ask Kendra about 4th of July in San Francisco, they'll just start going, yeah, it didn't quite go like we thought it was going to go, which I guess is a pretty common practice in that area. I had no idea that the fog would settle in that densely in that place. But I think about, isn't that a commentary on our lives today where I think about so many of you now in 2020, and it's as if you entered into this year and some things have been shot off in your life and you're just covered in a dense bank of fog. Your expectations about what was going to be unfolding and the reality of what's unfolding. And in this space, on this Palm Sunday, I want to call us to set our face as resolutely toward Jesus as he set his 
toward Jerusalem. I want to call us to set our face on Him with a steadfast determination like Jesus displayed in setting His toward Jerusalem. And I want us to commit to stay with Him every stage of this journey, even when, hear me now, even when expectations and reality get wider and wider and wider. And that's kind of the setting now for where we're at in John 13. So in your notes, I outlined some of the events of Holy Week. And when you're going through your prayer week time and you're taking your hour, I think there's some really meaningful text there to guide you. But today, Palm Sunday, I put in your notes, Monday is Money Changer Monday when Jesus goes into the temple and flips over the tables of the money changers because they've turned it into a fundraiser and he wanted it to be a house of prayer which goes into Teaching Tuesday, where he's spending most of his day teaching and primarily like correcting slash rebuking the religious leaders who are supposed to be helpful to people's spiritual life. And Jesus was calling them out saying, you're actually being a greater hindrance than a help. So Teaching Tuesday. Wednesday is Spy Wednesday. We'll talk more about that in our Wednesday night service. It's the day Judas betrays Jesus. And then that brings us to Thursday, the text we're in today, John 13, Monday, Thursday, it's the Last Supper and the preparations of the washing of the feet for the Last Supper. And then we have Crucifixion Friday, Silent Saturday, Resurrection Sunday. So here's where we're at, John 13, verse 1. It says, it was just before the Passover feast, so three pilgrimage feasts for the Jews back in first century where Jesus' day. There was Passover, Pentecost, and tabernacles, three pilgrimage feasts. They would be like similarly on the 4th of July to large crowds gathering in certain places. That's what the pilgrimage feasts were for the Jews. They would get together from all corners of the earth and they would come specifically to Jerusalem. Jesus knew, follow this now, that the time had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. That was the previous day, Spy Wednesday. Jesus knew, underlining your Bibles, verse 3, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up, underline that phrase, from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now, so here was the routine, right? So when you would arrive to share a meal together because the roads were so dirt-covered and dusty, your feet were open-toed sandals, the usual routine was the youngest and least trained servant in the house would then meet you on the porch with a basin of water and a towel, and he would wash your feet. That's just how the routine went. Everyone in that culture would have known it. And here Jesus, knowing this, leveraging it, what I want you to see here is Jesus knew in verse 3 who he was. This is the identity formation, back to what we talked about last month, that we have to work hard at understanding who we really are. Jesus knew who he was. At his core, he was a servant. He knew the Father had sent him not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus knew who he was, verse 3, so he got up, took a basin of water, a towel, and looked for dirty feet and washed them. Because he knew he was a servant, acts of servanthood flowed from him. 
You tracking with me? So when we're grounded in who we really are, our identity becomes the base from which the actions and behaviors of our life flow. Parents, I think there's an application point on a parenting side here. When we think about raising up kids, I think we probably need to spend twice as much time on the identity formation conversations than we do on just the behavior modification conversations. And I know as a parent, it's easy just to focus on the do's and don'ts and just to get them to like keep somewhat on the rails and all that. I get it. But really, I think the deeper work needs to be done. Mom and dad, we need to pray into this space and have conversations about who God says our children are, that they are a child of God, that they're saved by grace, that they're redeemed, that they're adopted, that they've been sealed with the Holy Spirit, that God has plans and purposes for them, that they're a servant, that their life is not their own, that their life is not their project, it's God's project. Their identity needs to be grounded strongly in who God says they are. And then I think, mom and dad, I think it'll help shape the behavior then that flows out. And when we have behavior modification conversations we need to have, tie it back to identity-related stuff. And so here's Jesus, I think, showing the disciples, like, hey, I know I've been sent here to serve and give my life away, so acts of servanthood are going to flow. So here's another example, right? Jesus knows what he's doing. He's in control. He's good. He's wise. He's competent. He's got a plan, but Peter now is going to speak up. He can't figure out what he's doing. He can't track with it, which, as I said, a good portion of my Christian life is spent, Lord, I can't figure this out. What are you up to? Verse 6, he comes to Simon Peter. Who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Hmm. Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. I love that. Peter's like the impulsive, right, speaking up often and says what everybody else is thinking. And Peter's there trying to correct Jesus, saying, no, 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 you're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus says, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Whoa. Verse 9, then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. So you can see, you can empathize with Peter. Peter's focused on just like the dirt on the feet, and Jesus is talking about a washing and a cleansing through his blood of sin and the soul. So Jesus is again looking into the spiritual realities, and much like our lives, we're spent kind of preoccupied with the physical here and now realities, and that's Peter. And so there's this line right in verse 7, which I think functions as an amazing invitation into Holy Week. It's when Jesus says to Peter, you do not understand now what I am doing. You don't understand. Like, you don't understand like spring of 2020, like Lord, why all this upheaval? Why the uncertainty? Why all the painful endings? Why the, the grief and the loss of what we hoped and dreamed and planned and outlined? And why are so many having to say goodbye to loved ones? And why are the kinds of things that we expected to be so different than what they are? Why is it unfolding in the way it's unfolding? And why does it seem every week that passes, there are continue to be more questions then answers. Why is this un going on so much longer than any of us would have envisioned? Jesus, what are you doing? I know you're good. I know you're in control. I know you know what you're doing. But I think we could say with Peter, <laughs> hey, could you just like, you're not going to wash my feet. We don't understand. And then Jesus looks at him. You do not understand now 
what I am doing. But later you will understand. I don't know about your response. My response is, when he says, but later, I'm like, how about now? Jesus, how about now? Can you like clarify some things? And Jesus, not now, later. How about now? Not now, later. Later you will understand. It reminded me of a pastor who used to serve in Louisville, Kentucky. His name's John Claypool. Here's a picture of John Claypool in a book that he wrote out of a really difficult time in his life when he couldn't understand what Jesus was up to. His daughter, Laura Lou, eight years old, contracted leukemia. They went through a sequence of tests, did everything they could do to save her life, and she passed away at the age of 10, two weeks after Christmas. And John Claypool was pastoring at the time. He obviously took leave of absence to deal with all that he needed to deal with there. But as he continued in the grief and recovery process, he wrote a little book called Tracks of a Fellow Struggler. For those of you really dealing in the space of grief and loss, I commend it to you. And in there, it's kind of a record of his journals and some of his sermons that he preached at that time. And here's, I found a really poignant couple of sentences. Claypool says, we do not first get all the answers, and then live in light of our understanding. We must rather plunge into life, meeting what we have to meet and experiencing what we have to experience, and in the light of living, try to understand. If insight comes at all, it will not be before, but only through and after experience. So when we think about Peter, James, John, and Mary, and then the rest of us as disciples now, a couple thousand years removed, can you understand those disciples really had no way of fully understanding what Jesus was up to that first holy week? There's just no way. Only as they lived it out with him, as they went through and experienced holy week, They could look back upon it and begin then to understand what in the world Jesus was doing. And that's my prayer for these days. It's way too premature for any of us to really declare all that God is up to in our country and in our world in the spring of 2020, but I hold on to John 13, 7. You do not understand now what I'm doing, but later. Later, you will understand. One day, we'll look back, we'll have context, we'll have perspective, we'll have some insight that the Spirit will give. But right now, gang, here's our invitation into Holy Week. Here's our call as a church family into this week. We bring all our uncertainties, we bring all our upheavals, we bring all of our unanswered questions, we bring all of our struggles, we bring all of the fears that may be trying the anxieties that we've been speaking about the last few weeks, like we bring all that into this week. And hear this now, we choose today to resolutely set our face, stay rizzo, to steadfastly determine to keep our eyes locked on Jesus, just as steadfastly as he set his upon Jerusalem. And maybe as we walk this week out with him, as we put our feet and stay with him, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, we stay with him, 
And we'll gather on Friday for our Good Friday service and we'll contemplate the significant. Think about all the conversations this week that are going to be headlines with the word death, numbers of death, tracking deaths. Think about that. And then think about Good Friday. Think about the significance of what I would argue the ultimate death in the history of the world. And we're going to stay with Jesus and keep our eyes locked towards Him. And some of you have no idea how you're going to get through what you're going through. Some of you thrust into some circumstances that you just think, Lord, I just don't know. I can't see. And I want you to picture you standing right now where Peter stood and Jesus walking towards you. And him simply locking eyes with yours and say, I know you don't understand what I'm doing. But hold on to this. You know, I'm good. I'm in control. I know what I'm doing. I'm wise. I'm competent. I've got the, I'm going to work some things out here. But later, later, you will understand. And in the space between now and then, what do the people of God exercise? It's called trust. We say, Jesus... Even when I don't see, even when I don't understand, even when I can't connect the dots, just like Peter, just like James, just like John, just like Mary, in their humanness, love the Bible so much, it records all their humanness of struggling through this week. It's okay, gang. It's okay to struggle through this week. Let's just make sure we do it with Jesus. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for all that this week represents for our faith. Thank you for your steadfast determination to obey the will of the Father, even when you knew it was going to cost you everything it cost you. Even when you knew the end of the week was going to be painful, filled with mocking and flogging and beatings and execution, you resolutely determined to go to Jerusalem and to offer your life. And now would you give us the gift by your Holy Spirit to have our faces stay turned towards you during this week? Whatever circumstance, big or small, normal or vastly abnormal, whatever it is, whatever this week holds, we have no idea what the days ahead hold, but we make a commitment now as followers of Jesus to set our face towards yours. And we collectively say, we trust you. Even if it feels like, in a sense, portions of our lives have been shot up into a cloud of dense fog and we simply can't see, we say we trust you. We worship you. We will stay with you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.